Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody. In today's episode, we're asking what will define user experiences in financial services this year? No matter how amazing your financial services product may be, if the UX isn't up to scratch, then no one is going to find that. But there's no set in stone rules for these journeys and experiences, and there are many external factors which may shape a product from one year to the next. Many of these are discussed in the 11FS Pulse Report 2023, which has been released this week and delves into the hottest trends shaping product experiences going forwards. So in this show, we're calling on some of the contributors to that report to discuss what were the successes of 2022, what were the challenges of the last 12 months, and what do we predict will dominate user experiences in 2023? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. In today's volatile market, financial services companies that want to thrive must prioritise customer loyalty and engagement. Amplitude, the number one self-service digital analytics platform, helps teams identify key drivers of retention and opportunities for improvement. With Amplitude's insights, you can build your product to increase transactions, retain customers and grow loyalty. To succeed in today's market, visit Amplitude.com. Great, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on this super interesting topic. First off, I'm joined by my 11FS colleague, Lindsay Kissler, Product Director at 11FS Pulse. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. What can you tell us about yourself and Pulse, please? Hi, Kate. Thank you so much. Really, really excited to be here to talk about the Pulse report for this year. Um, So uh, what is Pulse? Pulse is a unique tool to help you get inspiration and insight into what the best UX and design looks like for digital products from banks, fintechs, and insurtechs from all over the world. Um, It consists of a curated library of more than 5,000 user journey videos. We carefully rate and analyze each one and provide unique insight um, so that you can learn from the most influential brands and products out there. Sounds pretty cool to me. We also have a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Jasper Martins, CMO at Pension B. Welcome back. Happy New Year, Jasper. Can you give our listeners a reintroduction to yourself and Pension B, please, if they've been living under a rock this past year? (laughs) Oh, thank you very much, Kate. Um, So yeah, so Pension B is an online pension provider in the UK, and we help you to combine your old pensions from your previous jobs into a new online plan that you can manage on any device, anywhere, anytime. Um, And yes, we've been around since 2016. Um, And also uh, one of the things I just wanted to highlight is, and maybe that might be a trend for this year, is sustainability. We are launching, yesterday we launched a really, really cool new pension plan called Pension B Impact. Awesome. Well, yeah, hopefully we can touch on that a little bit today. Thanks very much for, for joining us. And last but by no means least, we also have another very welcome return for Kristen Anderson, founder and CEO at Catch. Great to have you here, Kristen. What can you tell our audience about Catch and yourself, please? Yeah, great to be here again. I'm really excited about the 2023 report coming out. Uh, Catch is a personal portable benefits platform. So in the United States for freelancers and contractors who aren't getting benefits from their employers, we help them take care of tax withholding, retirement investment, health insurance, all those things that usually your job would do for you. But when you're working on your own, you don't want to have to do by yourself. Cool. Um, Well, fantastic to have you with us and looking forward to getting your take on the stories that we go through. Thank you all for joining. Let's dive in. Okay, well, there can often be a lot of doom and gloom when looking at years in review, but, you know, I'm an optimist, so it would be great to start on a positive note with some of the progress that's been made in 2022. Um, But to start us off, firstly, Lindsay, you know, we obviously have a 
broad range of listeners to this show. For those who may just be sort of starting out in their industry journey, you know, how do we define user experience and, and customer experience? Right. Um, yeah. So it's it's a big question, user experience, and it's one that um, it's a it's a term that gets bandied around a lot without always being defined very well. But the way that we think of it at Pulse is that user experience includes everything that you see, interact with, and experience during the use of a digital product. And so usually you think of that as the screens in the app, but it can also go out to the messages or the feedback you get as part of that experience, um, whether or not they're like transitions or you know uh, haptic uh, feedback on a mobile device, for instance, all of those things would also be included in that whole wrapper. And it's anything that's part of that digital experience or part of the flow of getting a task done there. Customer experience, we usually think as going kind of like below the waterline, and it extends beyond the digital experience itself into um, the wider marketing and brand experience of the company. It goes into in-branch experiences, for instance, with a traditional bank, or it might go out into um, like paper mailings, if you're still getting paper mailings or emails or um, all the things that go around that. So basically, like user experience is a subset of the total customer experience is the digital part. That's a, that's a great definition to get started. Yeah, I swear I'm still getting paper stuff from my bank, even though I've def- I've definitely ticked the box on the app that says like, stop harassing me, but they just seem to want to keep sending me trees. So there we go. Um, yes, but what's been the one change or development in user experience that you've been pleased to see in 2022? Actually, seeing the back of paperwork. So, Kate, so we were just talking about you're still getting some paperwork through the post. Um, and I think maybe the pandemic has accelerated that, but especially this year in 2022, what we saw is that even the most stubborn paper-based providers have gone digital. And that means that if you are transferring an ISA to another provider or a pension or any other financial products to a provider of your choice, um, I would say before uh, 2022s, 30% was still paper-based. That percentage in, in, in pensions, for example, is really going down. I think that's a fantastic outcome because we don't really want to waste our trees on that piece of paperwork if you can just simply do it in an app. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that the lens that I see being really important is digital onboarding, the ability to do digital account opening and KYC. I think all of the advances that have come in the on the consumer side, at least, of being able to get someone all the way to an open account without them having to do something in person or by paper is a huge leap forward that has, you know, obviously it's been more than 2022 that that's been worked on, but I think we're really starting to see that that now on the consumer side is the default expectation. And I think anyone who's not able to provide that as part of the default is is just way behind in 2023. And you can really see that in the UK with the closure of bank branches. That's actually been accelerating in 2022 massively and that is one of the reasons we had to go in branch to open an account the digital onboarding experience now we don't have to go in so the reasons to go into those branches are becoming less and less and it's really noticeable now yeah i uh, i live in new york city and i live in midtown and if you've ever been to midtown in new york city you know that any given intersection four corners three of them are bank branches uh, and I think that's starting to change, which is really, really exciting because I think that real estate could be used a, a lot, a lot better than just for bank branches. Lindsay, have we seen, obviously, I think the knock on bank branches has been driven, I think, as we've talked about by the pandemic in large part. Have we seen any other sort of lasting legacies of the pandemic on, on UX more broadly? I think um, in addition to, I guess, 
all all digital or paperless onboarding, I think that um, obviously payments have just been so dominant. I think one of the things that we talk about in the report is how it's a bit uncomfortable to say it's another payments year, but it is kind of another payments year. Uh, it feels like we've been saying that now for like three or four years in a row. Um, you know, that the, the cashless expectation is just standard. It's standard with people like, you know, my 70 something mother, it's standard with everybody now. Um, you know, I think that that's something that's really pushed, pushed that over the edge. And now it's, um, now it's no longer, it's, it's that kind of magic line that tech crosses when it's not tech anymore. It's just how things are done. And so I think the competition there is just really intense now and it's going to be a big year. Yeah. I think that's one big dividing line between the UK and the US is that, you know, cashless payments have obviously gone up a lot, but we don't have real time payments yet. We don't have proliferation of fast money movement, and that makes a huge difference. And I think this was actually one of the challenges that, that I was looking at was sort of the, like, our money movement on ACH is three business days. Even same-day ACH can be two to three business days, right? It's an incredibly long time, and there are faster payment rails, but right now companies are extracting a huge premium for those. Right. I love cash app. I think it's a great product, but the, the instant cash out, like it's expensive. Right. And so I think there's like a big challenge in the U S that hopefully 2023 will start to address, which is real time payments fed. Now the opportunity for new rails to move money faster here because ACH is definitely hurting user experience in U S funds. For sure. Yeah. Um, Sorry, sorry to touch on another topic, which isn't quite in the U S yet, but if we take a look at open banking, so yes, but how much is the maturity of the open banking sector impacted the last year in user journeys, would you say? It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, I would say I would love it to go faster. Um, and I've said this before, open banking is just a piece of technology. It's what you do with it that makes it really uh, like shine. Um, what I am seeing is that more and more products you can utilize um, um, for account aggregation is one thing, but actually the user behavior uh, is another one. So there are definitely now money s solutions here in the UK. I mean, you mentioned apps like Snoop uh, and others that really, really making some grounds here where you can see your today's money with your tomorrow's money, but also can you also pay your today's money into your tomorrow's money? So I'm referring, for example, to having a pension pot attached to your bank account in the money manager app without actually leaving that money manager app. That's the exciting bit. And I can see some providers are really making progress on those those things. I think also the 90-day rule has now finally gone. And that means that you had to re-authenticate uh, that you want to connect those accounts in that money app uh, every three months. And some providers were absolutely, I would say, desperate to keep you connected with price draws and competitions. I think that's now all going out of the window. So I think people start to adapt to the fact that these connections are here to stay in that app of your choice. Um, and the second bit with open banking, it's not just see what, what you've got, it's actually taking action in the app of your choice with the accounts you want to manage. That's now been accelerating and that's a really good thing, but I still think it's not going fast enough. Kristen, obviously, um, open banking in the US is a slightly different um, offering at the moment. I mean, we saw some some chat at Money Twenty. I think you know, Rohit Chopra from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau did sort of allude to the fact that you know, there's going to be progress towards open banking in the US. So, do you do you kind of see that coming? Oh, sorry, we probably shouldn't go into predictions just yet. But yeah. I mean, what what do you feel is the state <laughs> of open banking? Well, what has the state of open banking been in 2022 in the US from your perspective? 
Yeah, I, we're, we're somewhat lucky in the US that the UK is several years ahead of us uh, on a lot of financial innovations. I, I am excited to see that we are closing that gap. I think you guys had chip and pin a decade before we did. So hopefully we're now only a couple years behind instead of a, a full decade. But I think open banking here um, is still a little bit less defined. And this is this is speaking to someone who's not deep in the industry, right? I'm sure there are folks at, at certain companies who could tell you much more about exactly what they think about it. But from a consumer perspective, there's not a lot of understanding about like what it is. Like, what does it mean? How does it affect me? What does it change for my abilities? But I think exactly what, um, what Jasper was talking about was like the ability to make change, right? Across platforms, right? It's not just the, the read capability anymore. It's the ability to actually write and make those changes to accounts. That I think has started to take hold in different ways, even pre-open banking, where you're seeing more automation tools, the ability to sort of integrate APIs into different backends that can move money. Even banking as a service in a way is still providing some of those capabilities of, you know, moving money between accounts in a little bit more of a facilitated way without total separation. Um, but I, I do think like... In terms of the CFPB comments, I guess I would say I'm cautiously optimistic because I, I am also an optimistic, but I am cautiously so because I think it is a tricky problem for a lot of reasons to get it right. Hopefully we will learn the right lessons from from the UK and others who have come further on the journey. Um, but there are a lot of things I think that we need to watch out for in terms of permissions and fraud and all of the other things that like might go along with that and making sure that we're we're protecting against those things proactively instead of stepping in the same problems. Absolutely. Just to, if I can jump in there really quickly. I mean, I'm, um, I'm a UK US dual citizen, but I left the US 20 years ago. So I, I don't know how, well, I know for sure that my US knowledge is not up to date and I'm not an American expert um, at all. But I think what I got from, from the announcements in the US was actually like on, at the consumer kind of confidence level is that average Americans don't have that confidence in the portability and security of their banking data. And, and to me, having lived in the UK for so long, I'm really shocked at that because it's like I've totally taken that for granted for most of my adult life is like in the UK and in Europe, like there's this absolute com confidence, you know, that you'll be able to move accounts, that you can open them easily, that you can shift things around and that it will stay secure and that there's safety nets for fraud and stuff. And I feel like the the steps and I, and I share your caution, Kristen, totally because, you know, it's also America and then there's lots of steps to go through. But, you know, I think there's this early signs that that confidence is, is coming basically. And once that happens, I think the watershed moment for the US is going to be massive. I think the, what with open banking in the UK, I think the, the defining moment for me was when more established players were starting to offer function, open banking functionality uh, within their app. So you're talking about high street banks, for example, not just mm. new banks. And when the, I would say the big players are going to adapt it and not just to be compliant, but actually to use the technology to do something really great with their customers, the trust suddenly like is supercharged. That was 2022 for me. Before that, it was some neobanks and some apps, but the big, the big banks have come on board um, and they're enthusiastic now. Okay, let's park our optimistic hats for, for a second and take some time to focus on the challenges that we've, we've faced into in, in the last year. So obviously the economic downturn has massively shaped the second half of 2022 and will likely continue to dominate. Um, how is the industry reacting to this, Kristen? Yeah, I think even related to open banking, it's an, it's an interesting time for that technology to become available uh, in, in the US and we'll see if it's 2023 or later. But 
Um, I think there are a lot of uh, fintech companies beyond just neobanks that are going to have a tough year, um, many that will close. And I don't think that's going to help consumer confidence. Um, and so I think that, you know, again, it's part of the cycle. It's, it's part of the, the nature of businesses open and, and closing. And, and I was reading an article recently about a neobank that like is a perfectly fine neobank that was shutting down. And this article was calling it a scam because they were using banking as a service. And it just sort of shows you that there's still like a lack of understanding from like the outside, the outside industry, right? The people who don't understand FinTech insiders, ha, got the name in, but don't understand sort of like inside the industry. Like that's how a lot of this works, right? Of course, this neobank doesn't have a banking charter. They weren't supposed to. That wasn't their model. But I think like the, the downturn is definitely going to have an effect on consumer confidence and a willingness to try these new technologies, especially with the crypto winter, all of those sorts of things coming together are going to push people back more towards legacy institutions that have proven safer over a long period of time. And so I think that's going to be a challenge for, for upstarts and innovation. Lindsay, have you seen any of those sort of trends that questions touched on kind of coming through into the user journeys we're seeing in terms of like the language or the tone or like how, how have we seen that play out? Yeah, I think there's definitely this turn towards um, a sort of safety and savings, um, you know, and acknowledgement, um, at least in a lot of the consumer oriented products that we review, um, a lot of acknowledgement that savings is, is a huge important thing on people's radar in a way that it wasn't a couple of years ago that, um, you know, that there's there messages that come through regularly about um, ways to save money, uh, responding to the cost of living crisis, responding to unexpected bills, um, you know, and it, when when those are used positively, they can be hugely beneficial to the user experience as a whole and to and to consumers' real lives. There's obviously um, there's obviously huge scope in there also for things to go and take a darker turn. You know, and that you know customers could be potentially misled about the size of opportunities available or misled about the risks of you know taking on new credit products or for things like that. And we do see. Um, we are seeing that whole range of behaviors in, in the products that we're looking at. For sure. Jasper, how has it played out for you guys at, at Pension B? Has it changed your plans at all or the way that you're executing things? Uh, well, I think there's a difference between our existing customers and prospective customers. So for existing customers, I think we are identifying lots more vulnerability amongst our customer base, people really struggling. Um, um, so one of the key indicators that people are really going through hard times is people who want to access their pension earlier than it's actually legally allowed, which is the age of 55 in the UK, that's really gone up. And that means that people really are desperate for cash. And that that's really one of the factors. So you've got to make sure your product and your user experience, especially in our Beehive, our online account, is designed to give people the information and the reassurance they need and the support. So I think from that moment, we really have put more emphasis on that because we just saw there was a big, much bigger need for it. For prospective customers, trust is definitely an issue. Um, we are already, uh, in this, we are becoming a, a leading household brand, but we're only still eight years old. So it does mean that people still see us as that new provider. Um, one of the things that we've really seen from customer behavior is, is your company profitable, yes or no? Um, and if you want to move a large amount of money to a new provider, would you trust them if they are loss-making or just a startup? I would struggle with that trust. So 
you know, my customer probably would do the same. So I think there's going to be a huge, um, there is a really big focus on making sure you have a good business model and your company is profitable. Customers are looking at that. And unfortunately, some of the uh, new providers that are coming on stream are not profitable yet, or they're just in the early stages. So one thing to become profitable is to tune down your advertising spend. So I've seen quite a lot of providers currently not being on, on, on out, out of home or on billboards or radio. Instead, some of the incumbents have come in uh, that actually have listened to customers in recent years and have finally come on board with a better user experience. So this January is a complete different January than it was 12 months ago. I, ha I have to deal with a complete different set of advertisers. And yes, I am looking at companies like Standard Life and Aviva and Scottish Widows, all the big traditional players listen to their customers, have built better use of experiences. They've got the money as incumbents to actually advertise, but at a cost of new providers, possibly within better user experience of maybe the same. And that's a big, big shift from, uh, I would say, 12 months ago. Really, really interesting. Um, Kristen, obviously you have a slightly different customer base. Like how does how does this economic uncertainty impact your customers in particular? Yeah, I mean, one thing that marks sort of a consistent experience across our customers is that they earn in non-traditional ways. So their income was volatile when times were good. <laughs> their income is volatile when times are not good. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we have to solve. It's not even total income that folks are making, but freelancers can earn huge amounts of money one month, not very much money the next. And so helping them manage that volatility has always been a part of our mandate. And I think when when the economy is, is just shakier and more volatile in general outside of their own income, um, there's a, a lot more to do there for trust and safety. And I think, again, like how people are saving money, what they're setting aside. And, and again, we we built, um, we launched in 2018, always with the intent of trying to help folks set aside a portion of their income for taxes, for time off, for vacation, you know, all those things that you need to really help sort of smooth out that process. And uh, I, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult environment, but I am, again, somewhat optimistic because we've been talking about this for a long time. And we've been fighting against apps that were promising, you know, 9% APY on like, you know, things that have now the money's just evaporated. And I think we're, um, we're excited to see interest rates going up for that reason, because I, I'm mid-career. I'm, I'm almost 35. The last time interest rates in the United States were above 5% was 2008. Like I was in school. I was I was a kid, you know. So I think there's a there's a whole lot of interesting, you know, challenges are opportunities, opportunities are challenges. And and while it is a challenge that that the environment has made people much more nervous, I think there is a whole host of opportunity that comes along with those interest rates going up that we haven't even really begun to explore. And that folks, you know, my age and younger have just like, we've just never experienced in our adult lives. And so I think that's going to be an exciting opportunity for fintechs to, again, make that next leap. Because I think, as Jasper says, like, it's going to be hard for us to compete against some of those incumbents that have really solid unit economics and have just been sitting on cash for this exact moment. How important is it, do you think, to recognize customer vulnerability? Obviously, like, it's an easy thing to say, but a totally different thing to actually, to actually do and, and, and make it real. Uh, I, when we were naming our company, so our, our name is Catch, it's designed to be like a safety net, right? It catches you, you know? Um, I, I joked when we were naming our company that we should call it bad things will happen to you. 
Um, because I think sometimes it is like the, this realization of just like, you know, so and maybe that name would have actually gone further in the UK. I think it probably would have been better accepted by, by the Brits than, than by Americans. So there is maybe a slight cultural difference there. But I think it is really important to sort of acknowledge that like there is uh, difficulty in this experience. And I think particularly the last two years and the bubbles that we've seen in fintech that really just exploded with this like promise with nothing underneath it and things just like evaporated. People's life savings are just gone in these apps that had no promise of trust or safety. I, I think it's it's a unique opportunity to really like hold on to those messages and not try and promise things that aren't real, but really provide a user experience that like maybe it isn't quite as um, <laughs> fun, but it is definitely something that I think people are looking for right now, like knowing that they're going to be able to make ends meet, knowing that they're going to be protected for the future, for retirement, for all of those sorts of things. For sure. Yeah. Well, I suppose we can't really talk about bubbles bursting without mentioning the the crypto winter i suppose it's probably one of the main one of the main stories um of the last year you know, how much has the, the the challenges that we've seen in the crypto space impacted sort of crypto adjacent industries lindsay i think the main thing that um that we're seeing really is is those lessons being learned about um how you how you bring in customers and how you get them started like Kristen was saying like what you're promising are you promising um gem today and gem tomorrow and for a, a million forever tomorrows how do you convey those messages how do you convey them responsibly and you know obviously nothing's been affected there more deeply than uh i would say the hordes of kind of hobby investors who who had a go um in the last year um especially in the nft market Jasper, has there been any kind of repercussions of the crypto industries fallout on on your space on pensions well, I would say if we make if we widen it a little bit more, just not pensions, but like investments generally, ISAs, etc. Um, I haven't seen a massive impact because I do think most customers will understand that there is a difference between a long-term investment, boring, and crypto, exciting. And I think that the difference between the two has been quite stark. But also, exciting can also mean um, roller coaster. And on Kristen's point around guaranteed returns and these kind of like, look how much money I've made. Um, we've always stood our ground in how we communicate. And by the way, not just pension B, I would absolutely vouch, vouch for other companies in, in the space here in the UK um, without mentioning any guaranteed returns or advertising on that level. So I think the impact has been limited. One thing I do want to mention, and that's not just the crypto bubble, but it's the whole, the whole economic situation is a lot of older customers have gone on hibernation. So if you've got actually quite some retirement money, or if you've actually got a nice 401k or a nice ISA saved, you will think twice before you do anything. So it's, I need to defrost, or we as an industry need to defrost that group of customers and trust economic recovery and post crypto perhaps will help them to get there. They're starting to come back. They're starting to look. I've got quite a lot of customers going into our flow now as well with regards to uh, potentially signing up to us. But I would say it definitely went that group of customers. We just temporarily didn't see them. Um, so I hope they come back. But I think that's crypto was definitely one of the reasons why a lot of people with wealth, with, with money saved, a pension pot said, 
I just want to wait a little bit what actually is going to happen before I make the move to potentially a new provider. Super interesting. We'll have to keep an eye out for that, on that for sure in 2023. So, well, we're just going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back very shortly. Heads up, people. We've got a brand spanking new report dropping very soon. The 11FS Pulse Report 2023 will officially land later this month. What were the best fintech user journeys of 2022? Which UX trends are set to take the new year by storm? All this will be answered and more with winning insights from our 11FS Pulse team experts and global industry leaders. Go to info.11fs.com slash pulse report to download and to find out more. So that's info.11fs.com slash pulse report. We can't wait to share what we've been working on. Okay, welcome back. Let's lead out with some predictions on how we see this year going from a product experience perspective. So, lots to dig into here. Lindsay, first question to kick us off. Mm. Is 2023 going to see the rise of the incumbents? 2023 definitely has a huge opportunity for the incumbents to jump in. Um, it would be a shame if they, uh, if they didn't if they didn't take it. You know, I think like has been alluded to earlier, a lot of the uh, established players have been sitting on big, um, big war chests, or they've been starting even to invest that in different tactical partnerships. They're starting to see, oh, there's a chance here that we can, we can catch up with these upstarts while they're on the back foot, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of thing. So uh, the opportunity is certainly there. I would, I would not underestimate the ability of slow moving ships to be slow moving. However, um, so, you know, it's not a given, um, you know, I think the most exciting things, if exciting can be applied to old school banks, like the most exciting thing available really, um, for them is to, is to take advantage of the breathing space and to, to learn from their competition, to learn from the little guy and really like try to get a few spaces ahead while they can. Yeah. Yes, but obviously you mentioned already like the changes you've seen in terms of the marketing behaviors. Do you think that's going to come through into like the product experience as well this year for incumbents? Some incumbents have really, really improved the user experience of their uh, of their existing customer base, but also for new customers. Um, there will be quite a lot of uh, acquisitions. I mean, the rumor machine in London is quite, uh, I mean, there's quite some stories going around. I would expect definitely some, some big incumbents buying a newer partner or a new, a newer company adopting that user experience into their own. So I I think Lindsay is absolutely right. There is this window of opportunity, a bit of briefing space where, um, uh, and some of them have really caught up. So I think that's definitely, uh, uh, visible. Yeah. Kristen, how does it look on your side of the pond? All right, I gotta I gotta take the contrarian side of that. Uh, only because I think I it's not that I think you're you're incorrect. It's that I think that the opportunities just look different now. And the opportunities of the last five to ten years have been a lot around UI and reskinning. And I think that's that's great. And it's it's led to a bunch of improvements and, and the incumbents can now, you know, take take what we've learned at our our scrappy early stage startups and and apply that as they've they've been working towards probably since their 2017 five-year plan right that we're now seeing the tail end of but but the opportunities for us are so much more exciting right i think now that we've kind of cleared the hurdles of some of these things i think there's a lot of opportunity to rethink product experience beyond just ui 
right? It's not about digital onboarding. It's not about like which screen leads to which. There are a lot of best practices that have, and I don't want to say FinTech should get all the credit for this. Tech in general has created a lot of best practices for us around how flows should work, how usability should work, how accessibility can be built in from the ground up. And I think that's great. But now what I'm excited about, like I said, high interest environments, like the opportunity to look at an entirely different set of products that haven't been that attractive for for a long, long time. So an example that I always like to use is here in the United States, our, our retirement is investment, not pensions, right? We're mostly run on 401ks right now. And the reason for that is that the market has been so strong for so long. And I think we're now starting to see after 2008 and now after 2021, 2022, we're starting to see like the market crash can really have an effect on that. So is there a way for us to rethink something like annuities, something like a pension, right? Is there a way for us to build new products that create de-risked opportunities for the long term? And that only happens in an interest environment that isn't zero. So I, I think it's like, it's a slightly different take on it, which is that user experience is gonna go far beyond just the UI. Incumbents, sure, let them have their digital onboarding, that's fine. Like us early stage folks are gonna be focused on the next thing. I, I, to be honest, I think you've got a really good point there. I didn't, I didn't actually didn't thought about it this way, but you're absolutely right. In the UK, annuities is just a product that kind of like almost was gone because interest rates were close to zero and now, the A word is being mentioned again. And it's just like, we're looking at it. I'm not going to lie, but it's like, it's something that's now actually worth exploring because there's demand for it. Um, so yes, it hopefully will also spark new initiatives, new startups or new product lines uh, at existing companies. I guess to be a bit boring, I reckon I definitely sort of sit somewhere in between. Like half my brain definitely recognizes that breathing space view. But I think I also agree, Kristen, like I think, probably going to get to the stage now where we've kind of covered all the patches that a good UI UX experience can cover. And now we're going to get to the stage where actually for customers, it'll be about how you innovate fundamentally on those underlying financial products, how you potentially connect different products together. Like actually that connection between your savings and your investment and your current account and your pension fund. Like I think that kind of interconnectivity, which is going to provide a huge amount of potential benefits to customers. I'm, I'm intrigued to see whether incumbents actually can can move into that space or fintechs with their their more modern banking stacks uh, are going to have an advantage yeah we can do it intelligently right we can we can do it without you know but previously annuities was a, a guy sitting at a desk with a bunch of paperwork in front of him and you're you know you're like what does it mean when an annuity connects to your income accounts to your other accounts to your investment like how do you make those products work together i think the sort of the the cycles and again this isn't unique to fintech but the cycles of bundling and unbundling i think we're at the beginning of a cycle of bundling right now and so i think you know we had all these neobanks that really pulled everything apart and that was good because it created a lot of improvements in a lot of different areas but now it's sort of like how do we build the, the big platforms that are taking big amounts of products that the large institutions have done maybe over a hundred years and how do we start to bundle them together with the technology and intelligence that we we didn't have the last go round of this. Absolutely. And it's going to be totally reliant on um, improving the platforms. And I think Kate mentioned the, the tech stack in general. And I think that's part of the incumbents opportunity is that that's always been one of the biggest um, kind of uh, millstones, like dragging them back is just the, the horrificness of the, of the back office and um hopefully that will be one of the opportunities seized by the incumbents will be the opportunity to clean up some of those things and to 
maybe take some chances and actually build some build some um, infrastructure that works, shall we say? Because I think without that, there will be there will be a ceiling on how far you can stretch those things, and it will be it will, there'll be a hard limit on that, and so it will be potentially acquisition. Like that, like like Gasper said at the very beginning, um, you know that may be how an incumbent chooses to get out of it, or it may be um, actually like building a parallel bank, building you know some, some other thing there really radically, and like we're talking about a scale of investment that's uh, you know just enormous, and so the capability is there, but whether or not the will is there is something else. One of um one of the other topics of the report uh, which we touch on is the unhappy paths of financial services. And like for full disclosure, I suppose I should probably like, I'm part of the reason why it features in the report because it's something that I feel very passionately about. But um, Lindsay, what 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 do you think on this? And you can tell me I'm completely wrong if, if you think so, but I'm really, really hoping that 2023 will see some more focus on on the unhappy paths in, in fintech and financial services. Yeah, like I have to say, I was absolutely thrilled when I read your response on this because I am really also interested in unhappy paths. Um, I think it's one of those areas that, like, you don't know, um, you don't know it's there until it happens to you. And so, whether that's um, running into a fraud case, running into, um, you know, some some really difficult situation with debt management, or having some other kind of really you know, bad thing happen. Like a user doesn't even know it's there until it's there. In some cases, you know, with um, with a lot of the incumbent banks, they've just been kind of sweeping these under the rug for years and years. It's like, oh, go to branch and something will happen. Um, you know, fill in this form and post it to. This actually happened to me when I was closing an account at an incumbent bank during the pandemic. They were like, fill out this paper form and send it to this address, and it literally went into a black hole. Um, I called them a year later and then fixed it over the phone, but I had no idea what happened to my piece of paper. You know, so I think there is this thing about unhappy paths where it's it's both improving improving you know customer confidence and the total user experience, but it's also about saving money. You know, it, those kinds of processes cost banks a huge amount of money. They cost an enormous amount of customer goodwill. Um, they're just terrible lose situations all the way around. So, you know, I think it's a great hope that difficult times will will actually prompt dealing with them if, you know, for nothing else than for the for the reason that they'll be happening more often. So they'll have to be seen too. Yeah, Catch, we we talk a lot about how our customers are our independents, which is everyone's an edge case. Because uh, they all earn money differently, they all like see like every person's an edge case, right? Which definitely has some challenges. But I, I think that that's that's a a big opportunity that technology can help resolve. And I think again, some of those like more challenging cases that that come up, um, being able to solve them at scale is a is still uh, is still somewhat unexplored. And and I think we're we're starting to crack at them um, in in the industry, but maybe not well enough yet. <laughs> There's um there's so much we could have could have covered here, but I think in in the interest of time, I think I've got to narrow us in on, on one final question. So, to to each of you, I suppose, what what one thing would you love to see happen in in 2023? Yes, I would love to see that people are uh, taking financial decisions this year to help save the planet or to make the planet a better place. I generally feel this year and 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 beyond more and more people will actually start to make that leap and seriously going to look at sustainable investing, sustainable financial products. Um, I mean, we've launched a new product yesterday, so I'm very pleased with 
the uptake and surprise, surprise, the boomers are saving us. It's not just the young people who signed up to this plan. Average age is much higher. So I've got faith in the planet. I've got faith in, 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 in all of our human beings on this planet. And I hope this year will be the year where we not just looking at the highest savings accounts or the highest return, but we also look at like the highest return for the planet. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to keep my fingers crossed for that one too. Kristen, what about you? Um, I hope that we get fast and free money movement in the United States. Um, and I think especially in a, in a downturned market, especially when money is tight, having to pay a lot of money to access your own money quickly um, is something that the, the market just, it, we just, we, we need something better. So full rollout of RTP and Fed now to every possible institution as quickly as can be done and a race to the bottom on prices for it. That's my hope. Awesome. And Lindsay, what about you? What one thing would you love to see happen in 2023? I would love to see opportunity seized through the difficult economic climate. I think it will be undeniably a really tough year for a lot of people. But I think that creates opportunity in terms of regulation, in terms of cleaning things up, um, in terms of offering assistance to ordinary people. I would really like to see those things come together in our industry and beyond. I'm not sure if uh, if mine will actually happen or not, but one thing I'd love to see this year is that it becomes much easier for customers to see all of their buy now, pay later commitments across multiple providers in one place. I'm just seeing that as being a, a, an issue again and again and again that you know, as buy now, pay later proliferates, people end up with pockets of debt in, in all sorts of different places. So I'd love to, I mean, we're just starting to regulate buy now, pay later in, in the happy path, let alone the unhappy path. But um, I'd love to see that by the end of 2023, that a customer can just see all of their commitments in one place. So that's that's my take. Well, thank you so much to, to all of our guests. I think we could have talked for, for absolutely forever on, on all of this, but sadly, uh, we've run out of time. For more in-depth insights from all today's panellists, me and the other clever people at the 11FS Pulse team, you can go down the 2023 report now from content.11fs.com forward slash reports. And thank you so much to our guests for joining me. Where can people find out a bit about, a bit more about you and your companies, Jasper? So um, um, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Jasper Martins. Or if you want to follow, know more about PensionBee, download the app or go to pensionbee.com. Kristen? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Catch Kristen, and you can download our app, Catch Benefits, or go to catch.co. I'm looking forward to seeing the rebrand this year as well. The bad things happen to you rebrand, so watch out for that one. Exactly. It's going to come back it's gonna... in the UK. That'll be our UK launch. Awesome. <laughs> Lindsay, what about you? Um, amazing. You can find uh, me or Pulse via the 11FS or 11FS Pulse social media accounts. You can also um, jump right into learning about Pulse at 11FS.com forward slash products forward slash Pulse. It's awesome. Definitely go check it out. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Kate Moody or on Twitter at K8.Moody. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps other people to find this show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.